0: Lord, we thank you for your amazing grace, the gift that you have given us that we can't earn, that we do not deserve, but you've given it to us freely. Your death on the cross and payment for our sins, your resurrection, defeating sin and evil and death, now you've passed that victory on to us. Lord, thank you for your grace, and I pray that today that you will teach us new things about your grace, about how your grace can transform our lives, and about how you want to work through us, to extend your grace to those around us, to use us as your ambassadors. So please, Lord, as we open the scripture today, open our eyes, open our hearts to understand in fresh ways who you're calling us to be, what you're calling us to do. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Now today we're going to be meeting a man who does not fit the categories we normally think of when we think of people in the Bible. This man was Ethiopian. His skin was darker than that of the average Jew. His hair was curlier. This man was a high official in Ethiopia. He oversaw the money for the queen of Ethiopia, if not overseeing the entire treasury of that country. On top of this, this man was a eunuch. This means that... His genitals had been cut off. He'd been castrated. This was a common procedure for men who served in palaces back then. It was a way to eliminate any sort of sexual threat that they would pose to women in the palace. Now in society, eunuchs were looked down upon. Their body did not produce as much testosterone as that of typical men. That affected their development. They would not have facial hair like typical men back then. Their voices would be higher. Their muscles and their bodies would be smaller. People did not view eunuchs as real men. Now this Ethiopian eunuch went to Jerusalem to worship. Perhaps he'd met an acquaintance who was Jewish, who had introduced him to the God of the Jews. So anyway, he went to Jerusalem to worship. But being a eunuch he would not be allowed into the typical parts of the temple where Jews worship. Instead, he would be restrained to only the outer courts of the temple because Deuteronomy 23.1 prohibited eunuchs from entering the temple's inner courts where Jews typically went to worship. So even as this man worshipped, he was an outcast. So here's this man, a bit unique an outsider, and then God grabs a hold of a man named Philip, who was a leader in the early church, and tells Philip to go to where this other man is and share the gospel with him. And to see how this story turns out, I invite you to turn in the Bible to Acts chapter 8. And if you're using a Bible from the pew, Acts 8 is on page 1,104. We are in a series currently that is on the origin story of the church. We are walking through the book of Acts and learning what the early church did, what God called them to be. And this helps us to gain clarity on what God is calling the church to be and to do today. So I invite you to please follow along as I read our passage, which is Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Kandake, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her, all her treasure. Now, a quick side note. In English, this looks like the name Candace. But in fact, it was pronounced Kandake. It was a title. Kandake, we were simply referred to Ethiopian queens so queens in ethiopia were called kandake just kind of like roman emperors were called caesar so this man we're going to meet here was um, a servant of the queen of ethiopia now moving on our passage it says he had come to jerusalem to worship and he was returning seated in his chariot and he was reading the prophet isaiah and the spirit said to philip go over and join this chariot so Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its and is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found him at Azetus, or found himself at Azetus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea that's the end of our passage there's a lot in this passage we could talk about but today i want to specifically look at this passage through the lens of ministry because this passage provides for us a great model of how to point people to jesus so i'm going to identify three ministry principles and then make some applications for how we uh, do ministry here today so ministry principle number one is that God is already at work. God is already at work. Here in Acts 8, God tells Philip to go down to a certain road. Let me show you a map of where this would have been. Philip had been up in this region called Samaria. And then we see this yellow arrow that points in the general southern direction that Philip needed to go. And then that star points the approximate location out where this meeting between Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch took place it's on this road between Jerusalem and Gaza now when Philip arrived there God instructed him to go to walk over next to this chariot that was driving along that road And as Philip did so he heard a man reading the scroll of the prophet Isaiah out loud we know that section of Isaiah as Isaiah chapter 53 And this man was reading aloud, which was very common back then. Let me read you some of Isaiah 53, this man who had been reading out loud. Isaiah 53 says that God's servant grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. So pause there. You can imagine this Ethiopian eunuch as he's reading this passage from the prophet Isaiah, perhaps identifying with this man described in the passage of someone who is despised, who is rejected, who is mocked by the people around him. The passage went on to say, surely he took up our pain And bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. So this is what the eunuch was reading. And all this shows that God was already at work. He had told Philip to, hey, go over to the certain place... Go up to this chariot. As Philip does so, he hears this man reading from the prophet Isaiah. He set up a divine appointment with a man who's ready to hear about Jesus. God was already at work. Now there's a Latin phrase that theologians sometimes use to describe God's word. That phrase in Latin is missio dei, which means the mission of God. The mission of God. It recognizes the fact that. That God is on a mission. It's a mission to redeem the world through Jesus. It's a mission that he initiated, that he empowers, and that he has been fulfilling all the way back since the Garden of Eden. This is a mission that's bigger than any individual. It's bigger than any church. But God does invite individuals and churches to help fulfill his mission of redeeming the world through Jesus. As we see here with the Ethiopian eunuch, God is always at work. He was at work through, the, through Philip, and he wants to work through us as well to accomplish his mission. So let me give us a couple applications from this principle of God is always at work. One application is that since God is already at work, pray we will see the opportunities he is giving us. You know, opportunities are always there. The question is whether we see them. Because you can get two people who see the same thing, yet they interpret it very differently. Let me just give you a non-ministry example. This summer, I'm really enjoying working in my garden. Now, I don't know very much about gardening. I don't really care that much about eating food from the garden, although my wife enjoys it. But I really enjoy tinkering in the garden. It's very therapeutic. So I enjoyed gardening. This last weekend I watched a video about pruning tomato plants. And I learned from that video about trimming off suckers from tomato plants. Suckers are these branches that grow and they tend to suck energy away from the rest of the plant. So if you want to grow the best tomatoes, it's wise to cut those suckers off. Now before I watched that video, I had no idea what suckers were and how to, how to prune tomato plants. But now as I look at my tomato plants... I can quickly identify the suckers. There's one. There's one. There's one. So, what's the difference? Before I couldn't recognize them, now I can. The difference is that, metaphorically speaking, my eyes have been opened. When we are in relationships and our eyes are open to see the opportunities for ministry, we will see opportunities all over the place. You know, there's one. There's one. There's one. They aren't all opportunities to share the gospel every single time, but they are opportunities for ministry nonetheless, perhaps to build trust with someone, opportunities to give encouragement, to ask a meaningful question, opportunities to sow spiritual seeds. God is always at work around us. Therefore, we should pray that we will see the opportunities he is giving us. And the second application related to this is that since God is already at work, probe for open doors for the gospel? Acts chapter eight, verse thirty says, So Philip ran to the Ethiopian eunuch and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And so with this question, Philip is probing to see if there is an open door for further conversation. And asking questions is a great way to probe to see if there was an open door. Philip asked, do you understand what you were reading? I mean, if the guy responded, yeah, I understand it, I'm doing great. Or, hey, leave me alone, I'm trying to concentrate here. Philip could have just said, okay, that's fine, no problem. But instead, the eunuch said, how can I understand unless someone guides me? And then he invited Philip to come up and join him in the chariot. And this shows the value of walking alongside people and earning an invite into their lives. You know, everyone that we meet is struggling with things. Everyone deals with struggles. And so with that in mind, a great question to ask is, how are you doing? Now, I know that in our society that question, how are you doing, is oftentimes an empty cliche. But if we ask it with a genuine desire to care and to listen, It's a question that can really help to open people up and really open doors for ministering to them in meaningful ways. You know, some people won't want to open up, at least right away. But for many others, they crave the opportunity to be listened to and to be cared for. A common phrase is that people don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. And they genuinely care. We oftentimes need to be willing to have our agendas interrupted. I mean, you look at Philip. His agenda, his schedule was certainly interrupted. I mean, he was having a prolific ministry up in Samaria. And then God comes to him and says, Hey, Philip, I want you to go down over here and minister to this one guy. He had been with crowds. Now just go to that one guy. His agenda was interrupted, but God had a plan. And so if we want to care for others, we have to understand that we need to if we want to minister to others, we need to care for them well. This means not shoving things down people's throats. I mean, no one responds well to that. Whether it's your coworker or your neighbor or a classmate or your teenage son or daughter, you, me, we don't really, typically respond well to people shoving things down our throats. That turns people off much better to probe for open doors to see where God is already at work and then join him in the work that he is doing in their lives. Oftentimes the door will be open as people invite us in. Just like Philip was invited into the chariot for further conversations with that Ethiopian eunuch. Let's move on now to principle number two. We've recognized that God is already at work. A second ministry principle is that ministry is most effective when we meet people where they are. Now part of this principle is literally meeting people where they are on their turf. I mean, you, you think about Philip. He literally went to where that eunuch was. I mean, you look at Jesus and his ministry. He did the same thing. He stepped off his heavenly throne and came here to earth, which is our turf as humans. He went into people's homes. He shared meals with them. He went to where people are. Now a bigger part of this principle is meeting people where they are spiritually. Philip did this as well. Look with me at verses 34 and 35. It says, The eunuch said to Philip, About whom does the prophet say this? About himself? Or about someone else? It says that then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. He began where the eunuch was. He took what the eunuch was interested in and then built from there to point to Jesus. Now, obviously, the eunuch provided an easy segue to Jesus, kind of like the eunuch lofted a softball up there for Philip to hit out of the park. Because the eunuch was already reading from Isaiah 53, which is a prophecy about Jesus, especially his suffering on the cross in payment for our sins. But at the same time, this illustrates that ministry is most effective when we meet people where they are and so an application for us is to learn what individuals believe and value what they have experienced and use that as a starting point for pointing them to jesus back when i was in college i was able to do a few days of ministry in chicago's juvenile detention center now interestingly there is a school within the juvenile detention center And so for those few days, I was able to go into that school, and I was specifically there with teenage boys. And one of the things I learned in that classroom, I was given free reign to talk with them throughout the day. One of the things I quickly learned was that if I could transition conversations from sex and money to the gospel, then I would have opportunities for fruitful ministry all day long. Because what they wanted to talk with, the main things were girls and sex, And also cars and money and stuff like that and fortunately i was able to talk about those things they had a lot of questions about girls and sex and about money and cars and as we talked about those things i was able to to transition those conversations to finding our ultimate sense of joy and identity and worth not in those other things but in jesus and we had tremendous conversations through the course of those days Now, if I'd gone in there and just started preaching, I would have lost them right away. They would have just turned their ears off. The teacher probably would have had me just go over into the corner and do nothing the rest of the day. But instead, it was an engaging discussion, dialogue, the entire day for each of those days about Jesus. I mean, tremendous ministry, I believe, was taking place right there. And a key was starting where they were, with topics that were relevant in their minds... And then building off those in a way that still made sense to them and helping to point them to something greater through Jesus. Now interestingly, even the teacher there was interested in these topics we were talking about. Not so much the sex and girls and money stuff, but the Jesus stuff. During the lunch break each day, it was just he and I together. And on that first day and then continuing the other days, he opened up and shared about some of the struggles that he was dealing with there's a rich opportunity to minister to him and to encourage him and it shows that the key in ministry is to start with topics that are relevant to the to the people that we're relating to and then that builds a bridge of trust and care and understanding a bridge across which the gospel can flow now let's move on to ministry principle number three the gospel welcomes all types of people to come confidently to God. So let's look again to Philip and this man on this road. He told this man about Jesus. Verse 36 says that as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So as we've seen throughout this book of Acts, baptism is part of what I call the package deal of conversion. Where when you see a person turning to Jesus, you typically see a handful of things happening at about the same time. Things like faith in Christ, repentance, baptism, salvation, as well as the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Typically, as someone turns to Christ, all these things are happening at approximately the same time. As Ethiopian eunuch, through the ministry of Philip, in the work of God's life he is turning to Jesus and now he wants to be baptized now baptism is a visual representation of a new life that a person has through faith in Jesus and it's a public identification with Jesus baptism is something that every follower of Jesus is called to do now if baptism is something that you're interested in doing if you've not been baptized as a follower of Christ, there's a box in the back of the connection card in the bulletin that you can mark if you'd like to learn more about baptism or if you'd like to be baptized because in a, in a few months this fall, we're going to have a baptism service. We'd love to talk with you about being baptized as a follower of Jesus. But we see this eunuch; He was baptized as a follower of Jesus. Such a transformation in his life has taken place in the course of this passage. Let's review what we've seen in the last couple of weeks here in Acts. We've seen the gospel go to the Samaritans, who Jews hated. Yet the Samaritans turned to Jesus. We saw a sorcerer named Simon turn to Jesus. Today we've seen an Ethiopian eunuch who seemingly was from the ends of the earth, who is a sexual minority, who is a religious outsider. He too turned to Jesus. God is just blowing up boundaries and expectations that we humans may have for the work that he is doing. And it shows that the gospel welcomes all types of people to come confidently to God as they turn to God through faith in Jesus. So that leads to a final application, which is don't treat people as labels, but as people. Now, both media and human nature compel us to label people. I mean, you're either Republican or Democrat, liberal or conservative, white or black or Hispanic or Chinese, rich or middle class or poor, Catholic, evangelical, Muslim, atheist, racist or woke. All kinds of labels are flying around. You look at this eunuch. Eunuchs were labeled back then. They were labeled as eunuch. And for many people back then, that label eunuch was something that caused them to hold those people at hand at arm's length, to not want to associate with them, look down on them. But you look at how Philip treated this man in Acts eight; he treated him not according to a label, but as a person. He wanted to know where are you at? What are you reading? What are you wrestling with? Philip wanted to understand because he knew that understanding where this man was would build a bridge to the gospel. I mean, if you want to win a political battle, or win an election, or win an argument, then labeling people is highly effective. But if you want to win people to Jesus, it's so important to treat people with respect, with care, and with a genuine desire to understand them. Because when we encounter someone who's different than us, who may believe something different, who lives differently, We have to build a bridge of care, a a bridge of trust, of understanding where they're coming from. And then that bridge can help lead them to trusting in Jesus. So when we encounter someone who thinks differently, than we do a great question to ask is, will you help me understand? Help me understand why you have the political views you have. Help me understand why you have the sexual views you have. Help me understand why you struggle so much with church or why you don't believe in the existence of God or help me understand why you are so worried about all these different things. Can you please help me to understand? Because to help people understand the gospel, it's valuable for us to understand them, meet them where they are, and then help them to see who Jesus is in the midst of where they are. You look at Philip. He came up, he walked alongside this man. He began to understand where he was, what he was thinking, what he was going through. He was invited in. They introduced this man to Jesus. I want to close by looking at the end of this passage, verses 39 and 40. It says, When they came up out of the water from that baptism, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip, Philip found himself at Azotus. As he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So, after baptizing the Ethiopian, Philip was miraculously transported to a different place. Now, in, in human terms, from a human perspective, it's kind of hard to understand what took place. Because it looks like some sort of teleportation. And supernaturally, that's essentially what happened. I mean, it's it's kind of like something on Star Trek of, hey, beam me up, Scotty, although it's God's initiative here. And all of a sudden, Philip ends up in a different city. Now, you think about it from the perspective of the Ethiopian, it certainly would have surprised him. But it says that he went on his way rejoicing. Because he had met Jesus. A man who had suffered, a man who was rejected, a man who was crucified in payment for his sins. He had met Jesus, who was resurrected, and who loved the eunuch more than the eunuch could possibly imagine, who gave the eunuch new life and reconciliation with God. Now it says that Philip found himself in Azotus. Now it's a city you may have never heard of. Centuries before, Azotus went by the name of Ashdod. Ashdod is a city that occurs many times in the Old Testament. Ashdod previously was the capital city for the Philistines. Now, if you've read the Old Testament sometimes, you, you may recognize the Philistines. Philistines were the hated enemies of Israel. Now, interestingly, God sends Philip over to Ashdod to preach the gospel of to those who had a Philistine background. And so it's just remarkable to see what's taking place here, what God is doing. When the gospel expanded beyond Jerusalem, and went to Samaritans. It went to a Samaritan sorcerer. It went to an Ethiopian eunuch. And now it's going to the, to the Philistines and beyond. What we see here is the Missio Dei at work. That God is the ultimate missionary, wanting to take the gospel to all people, all types of people, even people that we may not expect because he wants to redeem the world as people turn back to him through Jesus. This is what the gospel and grace make possible. Let's pray. Our Father, what an amazing reality you have made available through Jesus. Reconciliation with yourself Redemption. We thank you, Lord, that you are at work in this world, that you've not abandoned this world, even though we look at the world around us and we see many problems, many things that are just in chaos and are confusing. But Lord, you are on a mission of redemption. We thank you that as individuals and as a church that we get the privilege of being your servants, being your missionaries, your ambassadors to the world around us. And so, Lord, I pray that you'll equip us I pray that you will give us wisdom, give us eyes to see the opportunities that you've put around us because you're always at work, even if we don't see it. And so, Lord, please open our eyes to see what you are doing. And please guide us by your Spirit, empower us to join you in that work so that more and more people will experience redemption and life and hope through Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Let's stand and sing again.